0: Hey, 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 what do you say? This is Eric the Rev coming your way on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it always. I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Eric the Rev. And here I am, I am Eric the Rev. And today I have a special guest with me. We have Dr. Mike Doc peterson Uh, with us today. He was the uh, principal at North Shore High School here in Slidell for a number of years. And, uh, hey, welcome. Jo- welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor but I'm glad to be here. Thank you, sir.
0: Oh, we're glad to have you here. And, you know, we're, we'll just have a nice conversation today and just talk about education and uh, music and things of that nature. And so, you know, just, just share with us a little bit about your background, your educational journey and everything like that. And Sure.
1: Uh, well... I graduated uh, from the University of Southern Mississippi and uh, with a bachelor's degree and and, uh, just kind of encapsulating education completely. I got a master's degree at Southeastern University in in Louisiana. And then uh, later went back to USM later in my career and and, uh, and got the PhD uh, degree uh, after a lot of work. And uh, so that, that pretty much encapsulated the education of myself, but the real education came in the field of education. Okay. Uh, I've worked as a high school athletic uh, coach uh, in football, baseball, track, other sports. Uh, Lion's share of that in football as a head coach over the years, uh, for 19 years. And uh, during all of that time that I spent in education, uh, I was a, um, an English teacher uh, in the classroom and uh, proud of it and enjoyed what I did. And uh, beyond that- um, I didn't know you, I forgot you taught English. Yes, sir. That's what my wife teaches. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. a, that's it. We, <laughs> we gotta have it. Yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> you just have I, have, uh, I have also um, spent a great deal of time in administration um, as an assistant principal at North Shore High School, as a matter of fact, uh, with Mr. Billy Percy, who was the principal there at one time and my mentor. Uh, and I was the disciplinarian at the school for six years uh, with Billy as the principal. Oh, that must and have been it fun. It was, <laughs> and he's uh, a good man, good man to work for and learn from. Good. And, I, and I like to say I did both. Um, and uh, from there, I spent uh, the uh, rest of that time, after that six year period, the next 13 years as the principal of the high school. So all in all, I've had 37 years in education as wow. an educator in both public and in private schools. Um, and I've seen some outstanding programs. And when you're a coach, uh, you know, if you want to, uh, stay, stay alive and stay active as a coach, uh, you, uh, you move up or you move on. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to take a step forward each time I made those transitions, uh, being, becoming a head coach and athletic director over the years and, uh, eventually a school administrator as well. And, um. So that's pretty much my background in education.
0: Wow, man, thirty-seven years in it. Yes, sir. Man, so thirty-seven years. And what are your biggest joys, and what were some of your biggest challenges
1: as an educator? Well, um, the biggest, uh, I guess, uh, of some of the some of the most uh, rewarding moments that I've had were just uh, just watching student uh, students succeed. Uh, you know, having a hand and and, and helping. Uh, provide the environment, or, or to to, you know, just handle the circumstances that would influence, uh, and opportunities for students, and uh, that that was really what education is for. It's to provide opportunities for learning, and growth in our students, and uh, just doing some of those things. Uh, in particular, uh, at North Shore, for example, we started uh, um, an Ambassadors Club. Just for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we had students who, when they were in, if they were in more than one activity, club or sport or both, um, they would, that was part of the requirement. They also had a requirement. They had to have pretty much, you know, a high grade point average, three five or better. Okay. Uh, and um, with those credentials, they had to have the teacher uh, approve approval of them because the teachers were looking at their citizenship and their respect. and and they're they're concerned for their work. So if they had a good work ethic and they they were active in the the programs in the school and they maintained the high grade point average, they could be the ambassador's club. Well, I instituted that and and it was just students couldn't couldn't stop coming. Wow. Didn't stop wanting to do that. And so we pretty much had our students involved with the parent, Parents coming on open house night and the students pretty much organized, guided people. When we had uh, had our, our freshman orientation days, the, the, the students in the other ambassador clubs ran those days. Mm-hmm. Teachers were doing what they did, but the students were helping students. And you know it, it just, it, it, it created something that is absolutely necessary in any school environment. And that is students need to have a sense of ownership. And to have a sense of ownership, you're gonna have a better school, you're gonna have more participation, and you have to have enough activities, varied activities, so that students can be a part of something. Uh, We know from education that if a student is not involved in in their school by the end of their sophomore year, the chances are they're not gonna be involved at all for the rest of their career, the last two years of school. Yeah. Well, if you can get those students involved in clubs and organizations and activities in the school, uh, they have a sense of responsibility they have a sense of ownership and they're gonna stay active and if they're active they have a sense of ownership that that's gonna permeate for the rest of their high school career wow. and so those things were, were things that um, yes I was really proud of being able to provide that kind of an ap- opportunity there are many other things and you do similar things for your teachers you know you reckon you're gonna you know what grows in a school is what you promote in the school and if you promote you know, the activities of good teachers who are, who are engaged with their students, uh, who, who go an extra mile and you see those things and you, you point them out and you reward teachers for that. Uh, that's a great thing because the teachers are excited and glad to be there. And the, the one thing that teachers always say they want more than anything else is to be appreciated. Yeah, and that needs to come from the leadership in the school. And I always view the principal's job is to create the environment, and to protect that environment from intrusion, from, from erosion of other activities. And so, uh, yeah, I was proud to be part of that. That's cool. Because uh, I paid attention to what was needed there, and I, and I was fortunate enough to, to have good people around me all the time. So that really helped morale in- Absolutely. And with the teachers and everything. See, that's one of the things that
0: I hear is the biggest complaint, uh, my wife and her teaching friends and things, she teaches you know, at Mandeville Junior High School. She taught at Natchitoches for the four years we were there, and then she taught back in the Chicagoland area for the 20-whatever years that she was there. And um, one of the hardest things is teacher retention. Natchitoches, for example, had dismal retention. Um, they, they could not keep teachers in, in Natchitoches Parish. As a matter of fact, when COVID hit, it, it wiped out the English department that she was teaching in. She was one of the last of, uh, you know, few that, that was still there four years prior. And then when I got the call here to Slidell, you know, then she left that department there, too. Um, they, they got burned out. They felt like they were not appreciated by the administration. Uh, and, and I remember tuning into one of the school board meetings. And they were talking about well how do we get teacher retention well we'll pay them an extra thousand dollars a year that (laughs) that that'll get them and I, I first of all that's you know not much of anything didn't really retain or didn't head home but what I hear you saying is you know appreciating your staff appreciating your students but appreciating your teachers and everything as well. So, you know, when, when you're looking, I, I hear that all across the United States today, there is a teacher shortage. There's is, there is human, you know, the human service fields, the service fields are gutted. COVID has really had a profound impact. And, and that goes with, you know, ministry, pastors, uh, it goes with teachers, counselors, uh, obviously the medical field, uh, waiters, wait staff, um, just looking around at our restaurants and the things. Mm-hmm. So how would you you know, look at this situation and say, what's the best way to keep teacher retention? I think you
1: hit on some of that. Well, and not be I'm not an expert by any means in, in these, but through experiences that I've had, um, I, I can think the best way to retain uh, a good educational staff, is to make sure that their needs are met. And uh, especially when you, when you hire new teachers, is to, you know, we had a buddy system is what we called it. And we would pair those teachers that came in up with, you know, good teachers in school that we had that were like master teachers. Okay. And so they had this reliable, successful, uh, you know, steadfast teacher that they could rely on. And those teachers would meet and work with their new teacher And of course, and as administrator, I would meet with those teachers once every nine weeks, which is only four times, but we had a lot of new teachers. But we'd bring them together, but the real key was not meeting with me. I was just taking the pulse. The people that were actually supporting and guiding and directing were those skilled teachers that we had already in place. So the new teacher comes in and they're not just, I guess, overwhelmed with the environment, what's going on, and new policies—a brand new school—and it's quite a lot. Oh, it is. And so, a new teacher comes in, and they have someone they can they can reflect with uh, on the day, and as time goes by, and the principal's door is always open. Has yeah. to be. Yeah. And and uh, and encouragements you know, are always very important. Uh, and when you have a staff that that is uh, is content, and you know, I mean, you can't anyone all the time no no that's, but but no, the staff is content because they're content with who they are the environment they're working in and and, and what they're able to do for their students uh, which is a real blessing when you ask those teachers to help you as administrator to do the things that you like we mentioned earlier but that are good for students they're all on, they're all about it and they always they're always open-minded certainly they're going to tell me what they think but but they're always open-minded one example would be, at North Shore High School, um, we had looked at the performance level of students who were, who were attending the school at every level and uh, based on their, their, their testing. Okay. And the testing evidenced that the students that were in the lowest quartile, the lowest 25% of the school, were the students who consistently struggled and looked at all of the things that we were doing in school to help students um, perform, academic, perform better academically. Well, the problem was, is that when the bell rings at the end of the day, all the kids that need the after school help that many schools offer, that teachers in there tutor, they have to go home on the bus. They don't have an option. Yeah. And, and I would say it was something like 67% of the students who rode the bus were in the 25% quartile that needed the help. So they didn't get it because they weren't there. So what we did to address that, is I said, oh, very simply, we've got them here, we've gotta help our kids while we have them. We can't count on after school anything. Yeah. So I became the Robert Barrett and I took seven minutes off of every period of the day and I created a period at the end of the day. I put that seven minutes per class and a block time at the end of the day, so it was no more teaching time, but at the end of that day, students could go to every teacher they had, and it had to be organized. And I'm not going to get into those details, but we had it organized. Mm-hmm. They would go to the teacher they needed help from. They needed help in math. They needed science help. They needed chemistry help. They needed assistance. And if they didn't need assistance, they'd go to their home room. And they'd work or do their work for the day. So that 35-minute period that they had at the end of the day was another opportunity for a teacher to come back to a student who'd been in classes all day and said, you got it? Do you need a little extra help on this? Okay. Or they could ask for help. So that was something that now our teachers were at a critical point. They're seeing them before they leave and they're helping these students. And it's fresh when they go out the door that they just maybe understand a little bit better. And uh, instead of going home and say, mom, I don't understand this. or just putting the books aside and say, forget about it. Yeah. So. We that touch at the end of the day, you know, figuratively, uh, was absolutely. Uh, it was just a tri- tremendous benefit, yeah. And that was one of those things again. Like I said, I, I was deeply rewarded by that, by our teachers. You know, desiring to participate, the students embraced it, and um, it was a good thing. Yeah, it sounds like it was much needed
0: too. I, I haven't heard of that in very many. Schools where, like what where Jen is taught, for example. You were saying, too, about, you know, you have mentors, you know, when new teachers come in and they're teamed up with master teachers or mentors and things like right. that. I had a friend uh, who taught at Natchitoches for a year. Um, the The Spanish teacher quit, and they needed a Spanish teacher desperately. And Tony Hernandez, a good friend of mine, he he owned the Huddle House in Natchitoches, and he was, you know, pretty – prominent with the business world and things like that there. Well, he's Cuban, and so he speaks Spanish. He volunteered to fill in until they got a permanent um, Spanish teacher. He never taught a day in his life. He had absolutely no idea what he was doing, and they threw him into it. There was no mentoring. There was nothing about curriculum or how to follow a curriculum or anything and he stood up there feeling like a complete horse's rear end, uh, and 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 had no idea how to run a classroom. Never did it before. Mm-hmm. And he he was like, "Oh man, I can't wait to get out of this." You know, this this is re- and he muddled through. He got through it. The the kids I think took pity on him. They 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 liked him. He was a nice guy and stuff. And they could tell he was just kind of out there. But you know, I I. I think I think that's just a no-brainer you need somebody who's gonna mentor you who's gonna help you especially if you're a young teacher you're just out at school you don't really have the classroom experience or you're you know filling in like Tony did uh, Tony would come back and was like man I, I need I need a shot of something man I'm just <laughs> <This> is... <laughs> so yeah you know I, I think that's cool that you have that in place Uh, Jen, you know, being new to this St. Tammany Parish and and Mandeville and everything, she had to pretty well figure her way out through this. I mean, they had a couple weeks of training or you know, whatever beforehand, before the school year actually started but, you know, she's, well, she's got 26 years or 25 years of experience in, so she's pretty comfortable about just jumping in there and getting her hands dirty, but you know, I think I think that what you were saying with uh, morale, I think that would go a long way to help morale that
1: teachers have. Well, each they, other, they, uh, they need help at the beginning; it's a transition, and uh, and wow, they, you know, teachers are so. If they're in teaching, then people are coming in the education to teach. They're special people already. Yeah, you know, it take, it takes somebody special to want to teach another human being. And, uh, well, you know, hey, but it's the greatest profession in the world. That was what Jesus was. That that's it. That, amen teacher, to right? that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. You know, a lot of it is teaching, mm-hmm. and I love to teach. And Jen, Jen loves to teach. She has never visualized herself doing anything other but teaching. However, the thing that she has the biggest problem with, and uh, you mentioned that you were worked with discipline and things like that for six years. Mm-hmm the lack of discipline these kids she has noticed there's no consequences to most of their actions and they know it they could act up in class they could back talk to teacher they could do all sorts of crazy things only oh, they might get a suspension they might get a you know an in-class suspension or they might have to do you know a couple of days but there's no real discipline not with the parents definitely not with the parents and she's I know she's getting burned out she this last couple of weeks she's got two or three boys in her fourth block that just are the most disrespectful little hellions on the face of the planet she's never encountered this before and there's no support from the parents <clears throat> and and the administration there's there's nothing they could do about it and um, so she and and Two of the boys are best friends. They do this in all their classes. I'm like, why don't they separate them? Well, because they're, you know, in 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 um, what do they call it today? It's no longer special education, but it's uh, you know a lot. You know, the special education they got learning disabilities, and there's no other uh, class segment for them, and they can't separate them. They have to be together, and these play off of each other. You know how how do you? I don't know you know you you look at at the times seem to be changing a lot
1: there there are there are uh, appropriate measures that that uh, are taking for the education of of the those children who are in need and uh and there are some very good strategies that are available and and the support system for uh, employing those strategies is quite good um, and I I was really uh I was really pleased with what St. Tammany has offered and has continued to offer to the community of students who have special needs. Um, you would always want to do more, but there is a considerable amount of support there mm-hmm. for those students and, and the teachers there. Uh, the manpower or the, or the teacher power uh, availability for those students is, is uh, I think, quite adequate uh, However, I think that you know we all we're always um, somewhat displaced. I think uh, when we we get frustrated—that's a better word to use—frustrated sometimes when the, when the when they just don't see the immediate answer to something, and that's you know what we had discussed earlier, uh, briefly was that you know your answer may not come today, but you may be the you may be the answer to the circumstance, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know it's education is an experiment. Uh, educators are constantly—they're uh, the variables in the experiment, and they're constantly changing and adjusting. And and, and I've seen, you know, I've seen teachers. Uh, let me give you an example. I had a, one one young lady was a, was a teacher, a special education teacher, and she had retired in the state of Mississippi and came to work at North Shore High School years ago. And I went to observe the teachers as I normally would. And, uh, and she had these children, and they had their different, different needs. And she had these students doing the exact same level of work that was going on in the other classrooms. Uh, so they were working at a much higher level than I think they even realized. But she had those students challenged. Mm-hmm. They were creative. Their, their responses were at a, a, a higher cognitive level and these were special needs kids that hadn't been challenged to that level before, but somehow this teacher engaged them enough so that they engaged themselves at a higher level and the more she did that, the better it got I, I didn't want to leave her class <laughs> I observed observing, and I said wow, this this lady is teaching me something here that, that you can do great things with any child if you'll just Go after. We had a teacher one, I was a gifted teacher. I say gifted teacher, he was was gifted, but the students were gifted that she was teaching. And she had taken on, uh, because of need, several, a couple of her class being regular education students. And at first she was perplexed because she believed that it might be a challenge for me to to change what I'm doing. Uh, How do I do this with, you know, so she had to look and she thought about modifications and she finally said, Most of the reason I know is because she came to me about the third week of school. She says, Dr. Peterson, I've got to share this with you. I went into this this circumstance, this situation. I wasn't happy about it, but I wanted to make the most of it. Well, I said, I decided that I was going to challenge these regular education students at the same level as the gifted students, and I wasn't going to change anything, but I would offer more explanation and more time on task if that was necessary. She says, I want to tell you, and she put her hand on my desk, it hasn't been necessary. These kids are so excited to be working at the more challenging level that they are working very, very hard to stay at that level and to get the work done. And she was excited about that. And that was just, if you have faith in the children that you're teaching and in what their possibilities are, kids get that. That vibe comes from you to the students but what do you do when you got students
0: that um, don't want to be there they don't want to be engaged they've got the wherewithal to do the work they purposely disrupt the class they are disrespectful to the teacher and the administration and nothing is done about it because they feel they can't do anything about it. The number one thing I hear from teachers, uh, my wife included, that is burning them out is a lack of discipline. There is no follow through. There is no, there is, you know, like, like when we were growing up, you never talk back to the teacher. You never did. And if you did, there would be ramifications and repercussions. And the teacher would call up my dad or my mom, it would be a holy hell to pay and they would back the teacher they would stand behind the teacher and they would say no little Johnny or Eric is going man we're gonna take care of this we're putting an end to it right now mm-hmm. and we're seeing less and less and less of that it's more like everybody seems to be geniuses and they're gifted and we don't want to harm anybody's ego and we don't want to hurt their psyche and we've enabled uh, an entire culture of uh, uh, parents and things that that seem there's there's you know uh, proverbs says uh, he who hates his child will spare the rod this is where we get spare the rod spoil the child Mm -hmm. the rod they will he who hates and the word is hates that's interesting he who hates his child will spare the rod of discipline, and it seems like we have created generations of of people that are very undisciplined from very cradle on. And I don't know how how to deal with that, or well, how teachers deal with that.
1: Let me just—I'm going to interject here a little bit because you know some of these things are are societal. Yes, what you're yes. referring to uh but the most important discipline that a child can learn is self-discipline it is it is not something that they're going it's going to, it's not engendered in them yeah or it's maybe not taught in some circumstances, which makes it more difficult for that child to get to that point uh, but self-discipline comes from a desire to be disciplined mmm And if a person desires to be a disciplined individual, someone that has self-control and, you know, just maintains a certain posture of respect for others, that is a desired characteristic. And if a person desires that, then they are going to emulate that self-discipline. And now how do how do you do that? How do you, you, uh, how do you nurture that in, in students? Uh, and again, human beings—we're all—we we're all, all suffer from that condition of humanism. We're a human, and because we are such flesh and blood, we we have those—we have different ways that we do deal with things. And and until we hit that level of influence that makes us desire to be disciplined, maybe we're not. Yeah, you know, maybe we maybe we delay. Or maybe we just we maybe we're self-directed and we do it we, we get there anyway self-discipline, but uh, I know that as a coach, uh, you know I can get up there. I've seen coaches do this. They can, you can raise your voice and you can you can grab somebody. You can try to motivate them. Get up talk whatever you think motivation is. But the only motivation that ever really matters is the self motivation, and it's like that with discipline self-discipline self-motivation. It's where you uh, you, I guess you just, you apply yourself to a standard that allows you to get there. Now, how do, how do you teach children that? Do we talk about these things in school? Do we talk about self-respect? Do we talk about self-discipline? Do we talk about, you know, uh, just a, a character? Mm-hmm. You know, if we're not talking about those things, we're not nurturing them. If we're not nurturing them, we shouldn't expect them. Yeah. And now in schools, you mentioned discipline, there were different forms of discipline. And it went from corporal punishment oh, yeah. to any number of things. Yeah. And and, uh, and, to, and recently in St. town we used to have what we called uh, detention halls. And not only in school, we had detention after school, where students, if you got detention, you had to report to the center in town and you're you gonna be there an hour, two hours, a night for three, four nights, whatever and it was an inconvenience. Well, discipline levels actually improved and it, because it was an inconvenience for everyone, yeah. and that inconvenience was only imposed because of the student's lack of self-discipline or self-respect toward others. And so you had those circumstances, and, and then, but there was a mechanism. Now, what the mechanism is now, if it's a conversation you go back to class, that's not good. We see that in society right now. Just turn your TV set on, right? You go yeah. to jail, you're out of jail. Yeah. Right? That's what's in the news. Yeah. It's a societal approach to things. And, and I, you know, just looking at that, I guess the big picture, I think, well, how, how are students going to be impacted? And uh, I think that everyone, every, every teacher, every human being, if they look back and they look at the quality that they have in their character and in their life, there were people of influence in their lives. And we need as teachers to be those people in the lives of these kids. We have these kids around us seven hours, seven and a half hours a day. yeah. And if you're coaching longer, yeah, or if you're involved in clubs and organizations longer, there's not another human being, not another adult that has that much straight time with students than teachers. So a teacher is a body of influence, and that counts. Mm-hmm. That can have impact, but you gotta know you are a teacher. You gotta know you're an influential, you have influential impact, and you have to allow it to administer talk to the student. You may not be able to reason with well. them. Well, they've got to go through other circumstances, but you don't let any student just disrupt your entire class Mm -hmm. for the entire period. Mm -hmm. There's got to be in-school timeout. Call the office, I'm sending Johnny down here, in-school suspension. So what we did in high school at North Shore, we had the in-school suspension during the day. The student had disrupted the class. I told the teachers beginning of the year, you do not allow any student to disrupt your class at the, at the at the cost of everyone else's education. those other students deserve your attention when you prepare and they're engaged and you, if you have a disruptor I'm sorry if you can't behave yourself but you're going to the office goes to the office sits and in school at least for that period because you're not going to disrupt the, that class yeah. with misbehavior so that goes straight to the tension hall. when that was tension hall ended he could go to the next class wasn't an all-day thing it's yeah. just a teacher had the ability to remove the student See, who was the
0: disrupt that that's interesting because like like my wife's situation she does not have that ability mm-hmm. or she's been in situations like when she taught at Burr Ridge Middle School back in Illinois um, you know they, they'd write the student off and you know give them an in-house uh, detention or you know whatever suspension whatever it's called and um, the teacher would get in trouble if they wrote up too many the teacher would get in trouble if they sent the student down too many <clears> times <throat> the student the teacher was punished for failing to get through to the student or do whatever the case was and and,
1: and there that was a uh, I, I think that was that sounds unfair
0: yeah it, it was and then that really hurt morale and um, I don't, I don't know where, where, where it's at with Mandeville, to be honest with you, because, you know, we haven't been here that long. And, and um, But I know, like, in Burr Ridge or even in um, Natchitoches, teachers would get in trouble if they wrote it up too many times. Uh, especially yeah. back in, in mm-hmm. Illinois, it was it was something that you just didn't do. And the kids really knew that they could pretty well get away with anything. And that was endemic, though, in, in Illinois, outside of the Chicagoland area. Now, that is a different part of the country, you know, and they've got different ways of looking at things and stuff uh, Then I've noticed that we have down here in the Deep South. So, uh, but, you know, what, what is your opinion about the educational system as a whole in the United States, you know, where we're heading or
1: where, you know, just what are your thoughts on it? I think there are challenges, uh, that, that school public schools in particular. Uh, but I have been in private schools as well. Um, and that and looking at the two, mm-hmm. it's just a, a little bit of, I guess, drawing from both circumstances, I'll give you a, a scenario in the private sector schools. If they aren't happy with the performance or the behavior of someone, they are dismissed. Yeah. If they don't make a high enough score on their entrance test, they aren't allowed in. If they have some form of handicap, they aren't even accepted in many private schools. Yeah. But when you come to a public school, we don't get to pick and choose in a public education system. Yeah. So we're gonna have to do a great job and we're gonna to have to do it with every one. And we don't get to pick and choose. So when someone says, oh man, this school is doing so much better. I look at that and I say, would you do that well if you didn't pick and choose the students? If you didn't have the upper 90 percentile only. Exactly. If you, if you didn't say you're out of here yeah. because you didn't get your sideburns cut, for example. <laughs> things yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, those things occur. But that's, so that's not a fair comparison. That's not an apples to apples. Public schools deal with the entire child. The holistic child and they deal with every child yeah whatever the needs are whatever the drawbacks are it's a real picture of america when you go to a public school and so the it's incumbent upon us in public schools to do everything we can to help every child be successful uh and and i I truly believe that there's that is what we're doing in public Mm -hmm. education and and so my hat will always be off to public educators because their job is bigger, tougher, and more challenging than any other academic environment in America. I've heard college professors say, man, I tried teaching in high school. I'll have none of that. And they were relieved. (laughs) And then I hear people in a private school, I don't want to teach in the public school. Well, you know what? If you're a good teacher and you're up for the challenge, man, there's a place for you in a public education. Of course. And, And with good leadership, you can get those students were ever before I told you a little while back in our conversation that we looked at the lower percentile and when we set up those students so that we could give them help before they got on the bus not to lose them when they went we did that and we we got kudos in a national magazine because the lower quartile literally moved upward in a very uh, substantial way okay and so the recognition was there because it does work when you do those things, and so I'm sorry I'm getting a little impassioned about this, but I don't oh, no, know. Go for it. You I, know, I just it just it's just so important that uh, we don't give up on kids, yeah. we don't give up on students, we don't give up on family. You realize that, that it used to be less than half, or maybe maybe only a third of, of, of parents had were divorced. People yeah. coming out of separate homes, And then one day I heard, oh, it's 50%. It's like 60. Yes. So it's so much more now. So you got mothers who have children or dads that have children, single moms, single dads, and they have jobs. And some of them have two jobs trying to make ends meet. And so their child is left on an island, so to speak, without the support structure of mom and dad because they only have one parent and they're making a living. And if they didn't both work, they'd be starving to death. Absolutely. So the school becomes part of the family. Yeah. And it's part of the family in the sense that we are taking care of their child throughout the day. We're trying to educate their child and we don't need to send them home with a boatload of homework or research that they cannot accomplish at home because they're alone or isolated or they need support and they don't have it. So we in education need to find ways to get the job done for the seven and a half hours, I got to repeat that, that's the biggest chunk of time in their day and the best time of their day, to get it done during that time. To try to do it beyond that is futile. Yeah. And it's beyond our means, even in public education. So yeah, public educators are great people. They're working hard. The challenges are great. There are some things that set back at times, some things that are discouraging at times, but, it's still the best opportunity we have to grow and enrich and engage our children in a brighter futures. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the best place we can go. Well, you know,
0: it's interesting. You said earlier, <laughs> I, well, I have a, my sister in law, Stephanie, my brother Ron's wife. She's a teacher, and she was a Lutheran school teacher for years and was a principal and everything in a Lutheran school up in Wisconsin. And she said she never, ever wanted to teach in, in public schools and wouldn't send kids to public You know, it was that kind of parochial mentality. And, well, she, never say never, because she's a public school mm-hmm. teacher in Racine, Wisconsin. There you go. And she's enjoying it a lot more
1: than she did when she was in the parochial system. Yeah. Uh, Pastor, I had, uh, every year... Uh, as the principal, I introduced the, the faculty to the new year, just you know, greeting our, our faculty members in our me- early early meetings before the students got there, and I always had this one thing that I was absolutely certain of, that no matter what, year after year, this is one fact that never changed, and that is, I told the teacher, I can promise you this, I don't know where your kids are going to be at Christmas, I don't know where they're going to be at the end of the year in their progress, but I can promise you this, every student is gonna walk into your class on the first day wanting to do the best that they can. Yeah. They're gonna to come to school on the first day wanting to be successful. They're gonna to want to do everything that you ask them to do. And from there, it's up to you. And I just I really believe that.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I look at my own educational journey, oh boy. I went to a Catholic school because my parents deemed the public schools worthless and in Chicago, they're not great. The Chicago public system is notorious.
1: So. (laughs) Just let me interject one thing, if you don't mind. Sure. And that is that somebody asked said, well, what do you do about public schools? You mentioned the schools there. Uh, The one thing that I I really believe is If you want to turn public schools into positive centers of success, you have to do one thing. Mm -hmm. It's real simple. You tell the principal of the school, we just, you have your job, you've got one, two, three years, say two years at the most. You got to get this school into a higher performing area. You got to decrease the amount of discipline problems in the school. You got to make this place a success. And if you don't, you're fired. If I'm a principal and I'm going into that circumstance, and they tell me that, all I want to do my job is give me the authority to select the people that I want to get the job done and to design the environment here so that it can be most successful with my students, with my community. And if that was done, then you'd see a lot more successful schools throughout the country. But you got to have a person on the property who is totally responsible but also has the authority to get the job done. Yeah, you can't right. hamstring the principals of the schools and tell them, oh, I'm sorry, you you used to put a low-performance school. I, that's wrong. I, I, Nobody I, wants that. I have seen
0: um, the school boards and the superintendents really do seem to, at least in Chicago and others, they really hamstring the principals especially the superintendents Mm -hmm. they're uh, many of them are politicians many of them are there to please the school board Um, and yeah they they really limit how much uh, the principal can get accomplished within within the school that they're in so that that hamstrings them but you know I, I don't know how good or bad the Chicago public school was when I was growing up because I didn't go. I was I was forced to go to a Catholic school. <laughs> I say forced because I didn't like it very much.
1: Um, I I well, didn't. Well, you guys had a school in that that part of the country, and it was an outstanding school system, and and its its reputation was very good academically, and it was. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to think. It, it's um, not, not, not Adams. Yeah, I think the uh, just was that Catholic a school? school. No, it was a public school. Public school. Public school. Public school. Um, it wasn't John Adams, but it was uh, Adelaide Stevens. I'm sorry. Oh, Adelaide yeah, Stevens. Yeah, yeah. That school in particular, uh, Adelaide Stevenson was very good about the curriculum that they offered in their high schools which was uh, college-level courses offered throughout the school. We, and we, we've done that here too, as well. And, and they were very successful. And so they were pretty much a model school throughout the nation. I'm sorry I didn't think of their name right away, but I've been out of education for a while. Well, you know, and that, yeah, there it is. But, <laughs> but, but they were they were outstanding, and uh, their curriculum was uh, a world-class uh, curriculum. and uh, And I looked at those successful schools that had, you know, Systems that had those uh, not only a good reputation, but they were getting the job done. It wasn't just you know uh, because of where it was; it was because of what they were doing. And and um, so looking at successful models, you can you can you can adopt from adapt oh, from yeah. that. And as I said earlier, but the principle of a school, you know, schools used to be more independent. Even in Saint Tammany, it used to be like if you were North Shore, you were in competition with. Mandeville or Mandeville was in competition with someone else. We were in competition for the, you know, the first number one school in the state or beyond that. So competition is a good thing among schools. And, and the only way you can have competition is if the school system allows you to have an identity at that school. Yeah. If, it's, if it's one size fits all, we're all doing the same thing, you know, then you don't identify with your immediate community's needs. There may be needs that you have to meet in that community that you have, that the other schools don't have to deal with. And so that's, so you, you need to have the, the vision, you need to have the, the uh, connection to the local community, and you need to have the authority to adapt to your your circumstances, so that the students can be successful. Yeah. Okay, so now yeah. I sound like a principal, so we there need to talk go. about something else, Now I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed well, our conversation. It's it's interesting
0: because I hated school when I was growing up, I did. I. Mm-hmm. I was tested early. My, my uncle Ray was, was an educator working on his master's degree with gifted students. And he taught at Hinsdale central high school, which was this real fancy richie rich high school in the West suburbs of Chicago. And, and part of his, I was one of his test subjects, I guess you could say, uh, when I was about five or six or whatever. And, uh, I'm, I'm, apparently depending on whatever my emotional quotient is that day I got a high IQ well I never performed anywhere near my IQ teachers I would I would give them fits you know how come you got so much potential and at least from kindergarten through eighth grade at the little Catholic school that I attended on the southwest side of Chicago in my neighborhood there the West Lawn neighborhood I really did hate it it was so boring Um, I I tell you those old nuns some of them they just could not teach they 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 just like math in particular they knew math they could do math but trying to uh, transmit their knowledge to others on how to do it besides rote memorization there was nothing and I taught my I, I, I essentially feel like I taught myself everything from kindergarten through eighth grade, I was kind of just, let me put it to you this way. My eighth grade teacher, they didn't know what to do with me. I was hopeless, basket case.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And for English, for example, you know, they'd divide you up in different groups and think the bluebirds or whatever, <laughs> whatever it was back in the day. And I remember by the time I got to eighth grade, um, I was by myself. The teacher... Did not know what to do with me. so I sat and read SRA cards all day. You remember those old files? Sure. the self-reading uh, thing? and i I read everything that was in that box. She never did anything with me. That was at the Catholic school. So I get to the public school. we we uh, moved to Lagrange, Illinois, which was a near west suburb of Chicago, and went to Lyons Township High School. And Lyons Township at the time was ranked like number four in the nation in, in high schools. Big public, about 4,000 kids. And we see two campuses. South campus is where the freshmen and sophomores went. North campus a mile or so away was where the juniors and seniors went. Uh, everything was at a much higher level. They had a lot of college courses. In fact, your average level course there was seen as like, you know, an above average, you know, everywhere else type thing my brothers and I were so ill-equipped to deal with the public schools in the western suburbs that I was put in all general level classes to start out with and I had to work my way up into the regular level classes and my brothers were held back a year it was dismal and uh, I, I, I just you know, my, my folks thought that they were paying for this great education. It was disastrous. And I had more fun in the public school, so did my brothers when they went to, uh, like, Forest Road Elementary School mm. and Park Junior High and everything, than we ever did when we were in our little parochial school. And there were so much more resources. Um, like, like, I've noticed in, in our Lutheran schools as well, we just don't have the monies or the resources there aren't the social workers there aren't the special ed teachers there are not the the special programs or things that will be able to address adequately the needs of the learning disabled sure. kids or whatever um, you you find that in the public school you don't find it in the parochial school and so yeah parochial maybe is great for I don't know those
1: who could, you know. Well, you know, there's, there's definitely a place because, you know, when you start start talking about uh, different, it's almost like different approaches uh, for students or different environments for students and, and, you know, families feel comfortable with where their children are and they just want to know one thing. First of all, they want to know their children are safe. They want to know that they are being provided with a quality education. Yeah. And they want to know that their children are engaged when they get there, that they're taking part and, you know, being engaged or being a part of this educational process. And, and and you want that in any community when you, where you send your children. And, um, the, the, um, the things that some schools or school systems do to, uh, you know, just to, to provide those, those types of, uh, experiences for students in school. Yeah. You know, they may vary from one, you know, one system to another, but they're not, they're not, uh, they're not so far apart yeah. that that they don't have a great deal in common. But as I was saying earlier, that, that just having the authority to do what you want to do, what you know is right, and, and will be successful for the students is is premier. And someone at site level needs to have that that uh, that authority. And I've always you know supported that idea. And, and then St. Tammany, that's pretty much been uh, how things have been done. For the, for the greater part of the time that I spent in public education. And uh, I was proud to be a part of that. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I not only have taught in private and public schools, but I attended private and, and public schools. And um, I, I've received benefits from both, in both areas. And uh, I'm, just, uh, I'm just blessed. I'm just glad that I had those experiences. And I, I, you know, the one thing that I, as an educator, you said, what are the things Something that you are uh, most proud of, we talked about that pretty much, but of uh, the thing that I miss the most from my experiences in education, uh, leaving the school, you know, the thing that I, I knew I was gonna miss it long before I left, uh, I knew I would miss this and it has not, uh, you know, unfortunately, I haven't been disappointed about the missing it because it absolutely was true is you you have as a teacher or as a principal or assistant principal, coach, uh, superintendent, you know, any position you have in school, is that blessing that you have to be an influence on a child or on younger people. And that, when you leave education, you leave the role of the influencer for so many people. Yeah, Your circle becomes super small, super fast. But while you're there, you know, you, know, you, tell, you know, you'll tell parents, you know, when you have a little child, eyes are on you. They're watching you, they're listening to you, they're mimicking you, they're, they're learning from you, and it's no different in a school. You know, I, you know, I have kids that would may, may disagree most of the time with certain things. But then you see those students later on, it's like, what are you disagreeing about? You know, and I talk to students. I don't know. I was stupid back then, Doctor Peterson. You know, and they just say things like, it. "I see kids that used to be in office all the time because they were they were just uh, habitual, you know, habitually getting in trouble." Yeah. And and and, uh, and of course they paid the consequences for it. But those students, are, when they reached adulthood, they're responsible people. They're good citizens. And when I see them now, I just shake my head and laugh, and they look at me and they laugh because they know that's how they work. <laughs> and and so you know it's just it's so nice to see these young people become good citizens and become good adults in our community yeah and uh you pastor the school system the the clergy or the 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 churches in our community these are the pillars of a society you have an educational system that has its job to do you have the faith community that have a major role in the community and, and how people really relate to each other because faith is all about relationship. Yes. And then you have the local government who frames it all. They encase these good things. So those three pillars local government, the churches, or the church community, faith community, and schools have to work so well together. And the better they work together, the better communities exist. And if, if, if you just look around the country, the best places to live and raise your family are where those three pillars are working together and they will be successful if they work together.
0: Yeah, you, I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, St. Tammany has a great reputation because I think those three pillars are working together in and, and much more harmony than I've seen in other areas. Of the nation you know when uh, coming from the north and and the north is a different especially the Chicagoland area where I'm originally from in these major metropolitan areas it is different and those three things that you talked about there do not work in harmony together like you know we I want to end today with talking about challenges to faith that are present in our educational system today And I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that we were very pleasantly surprised about when we moved to Natchitoches and down here to the south is that you could mention the name Jesus in school and not get beat up or, you know, get kicked out or fired or whatever. Um, Jen was surprised because, you know, for all the years that she was teaching, you couldn't have a cross in your classroom. You couldn't do anything like that. Um, you know and, and in Natchitoches many of the teachers you know they, they had crosses up in their classrooms and they talked about it now they weren't proselytizing um, a lot of the students supported that they wanted that um, Natchitoches they used to do prayers before every football game they would say the Lord's Prayer and uh, some uppity person who moved From the north to the area put the kibosh on it because that was wrong you can't do that but it really didn't stop the parents and the kids would stand up and say the Lord's Prayer anyway it wasn't coming from the school anymore it was just but it was coming from the kids so I I see churches the local governments the schools working a lot closer hand-in-hand here than I did when I was up in the Chicagoland area there they've done away with baccalaureates you we were talking the other day for example you know that you you get a phone call every once in a while from the Jewish parent or son. Do we have to hear the name Jesus or prayed or whatever at, at the baccalaureate or whatever again this year and well it was coming from the students and you were saying you know you don't have you can't tell a student how to pray you know well In Chicago yeah you can oh yeah you can and if a student stands up and prays in the name of Jesus Christ they're going to get in
1: trouble and they yeah I guess if you're not if you're telling someone what they can't do you are telling them what to do yeah isn't that
0: isn't that true Mm -hmm. but there is there is a big difference they did a way I like I I remember the last baccalaureate that I attended what my my dad's a pastor and he led the invocation Mm -hmm. at the baccalaureate and it was for my um, brother Adams graduation from eighth grade in uh, Hoffman Estates Illinois and um, he started and was praying and people were mocking they were heckling they, they would not shut up. It was, it was very disrespectful. It was rude and crude. And then that, and that was like 30-some years ago, and we've, we've done away shortly thereafter. They just did away with it altogether. So there is no real harmony between uh, local government. Local government will always um,
1: not support the churches. Let me say that this and, in, and in, in just, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned that the things are noticeable here in St. Tammany and, uh, just as a, on a positive note, uh, St. Tammany's mayor, at least the mayors that, that I'd known previously, they had monthly meetings with the school principals in their, their jurisdiction. And, uh, with that, uh, we would discuss what's going on in the community and, uh, you know, how these, you know, when you knew what was going on in the community as administrator, you knew how these kids might be impacted because of what's going on in their neighborhood. And so we had the police department there, police chief was there, the mayor was there and the high school, and the junior high and elementary school even principals were there at these meetings. And we met once a month and we discussed our community. Um, and, and just, um uh, it was a connection. And what I tried, what I did at North Shore it was, uh, High School was once a month, we would have, uh, or at least as often as I could, we would have local churches within our community invite these pastors to our school, and I would, I would treat them to lunch at North Shore High School. Mm-hmm. And it gave them an opportunity to meet and talk to each other and discuss what was going on in schools And that was good for them to hear and understand. And it was good for our students to see the pastors of the local churches that they attended or that their parents attended there. And to have that just just a level of recognition like, hey, these adults in this community, the ones that we go to church and see, the ones that we see who are here that are running our our communities, our police departments, our, our city, uh, those, those people that are, uh, that are involved in, in, uh, educating us, they're connected. Yeah. And so when the students feel, see, they will eventually understand that there is a connection and it's for their benefit. We're all, you, know, you heard the expression, well, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's thinking about one child and a whole village. Well, that's not, that's not it. It's everyone in the community working together to help each other you know the community schools help the churches yeah. the churches help the city the city helps the school and the churches and, we, and you know, there's got to be that link but we're got to be do- we have to be doing it for a reason and the reason is the thing that frustrates some teachers some schools some parents the most it's the children yeah you have your 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 path i have my path Yep. The teacher has their path, but the children are looking for the path. Yeah, they're blazing their trail. That's right, and we need to, as a community, protect our che- our teenagers, our young children, our schools, so that they're safe, that they are, you know, just relevant to the students, to the family, and relevant to the community. And, and when we can get those three pillars working together for a common goal and a, and a common benefit to their students, if, you know, if I work with you and, and you're the clergy and I'm the school and the and the, and the mayor represents the city, uh, and nobody benefits from that, you know, if, you know, if you if only the clergy benefits or the church benefits or the school by itself benefits, well, that's okay. But really, no matter who no matter who's involved in that that base, it's yeah. got to it's got to benefit the students. Yeah, we're all in this for our children. And as an educator, that's all you're ever going to hear from me. We're in it for the kids, and when it's not for the kids, we need to be doing something totally different. Yeah. But if you're a pastor, which you are, and if the the mayor, the city, the parish council and leadership, parish president, the educators, mainly the principals and the teachers, the site people, and we need to be about kids. Yeah. And I don't, you know, and I and I appreciate what you said earlier. There are circumstances, and there are difficulties in everything but if there weren't any difficulties there'd be no point in us ever working together
2: oh yeah so we've got a lot
1: if there's a lot going on then that just you know makes it more incumbent upon us to work more together than we have in the past and that's that's you know refreshing to hear because like I said even even in it depends on
0: the suburb you're at in the Chicagoland area there are more conservative suburbs and not so And more of the traditional conservative quote-unquote you know I'm just using that that term um, you get much more of the support and things that you're talking about like we have here at st. Tammany but on a whole like um, like Chicago for example I think it was within the last year or two a teacher now has got to teach the LGBTQ history and bring up LGBTQ heroes They have to teach critical race theory this is no choice Jen always said oh my god if I was ever faced with that I think I'd have to find a new line of work because of our faith and where we're coming from with everything and so a Chicago public school teacher and many of the teachers uh, in uh, and around the Chicagoland area they will get fired if they do not teach LGBTQ or critical race Wow. Um, that there's that agenda that is at work there and uh, the teachers really have no say they have to do it and if they do not step into play I mean we've heard about Virginia Virginia has had a lot of problems with this you know within the last year and it's made national headlines and things uh, parents or teachers that are that criticize critical race or LGBTQ are considered to be haters and intolerance, and, and all of this and, and, and racists and every other ugly thing you could possibly you know, think I, I, of.
1: I, what what uh, concerns me there with, with that information, that type of activity, is that uh, educational systems are, are run by the states. They're not run by federal government or federal government policy. Federal governments really are very restricted away from education. Sure, they put up money and they say, if you want the money, you have to do these things. But if you don't take the money, you don't have to do those things. And that's many of our Lutheran schools. They just don't take the money. And in public schools, in St. Tammany, St. Tammany comes up with a lion's share of money to operate the school. The state contributes as well to all the public schools. But the state, that state government, appointed by the people, voted on by the people, they are responsible, even according to our constitution of the United States. If those laws not specifically spelled out or given to the federal government are left to the states and education belongs to the state responsibility. So if we have things going on in schools that bother a lot of people, you need it needs to be handled at the state level. Yeah, there's not a curriculum that needs to come in the back door of public education from the federal government or from some other influence. The state runs it, and the people who are responsible for that education live in that state. The people who are responsible for the community schools that you, uh, your wife teaches at, at, that that I taught at, that these kids attend, or that, that are the the community. Yeah. we need to involve our parents our students that's one of the other things that I'm really proud of and that was that our PTA teachers and involvement in schools was outstanding in St. Tammany Parish and North Shore I think I had some of the some of the greatest leaders on that PTA to help me and to take visions that we shared and and made sure because their children would benefit that things got done. Yeah. And I'm so so happy about the parental involvement and the level of community involvement here and and differences put aside. The bottom line was are my kids getting a good education? Are they safe? And are they going to be successful? Yeah. Are they going to have what they need when they leave this school? And that that it's real simple. But everybody has to work together to get there. You know I know we're
0: running out of time here and we could go on and on and on about this stuff I really I'm really enjoying the conversation um, yeah it's it's um, it, it is it is different here I, I must say um, just just the um, the atmosphere of being even in this this slide out area um, you know we, we could pray in a public restaurant without getting criticized you, you know, feeling like a fool or something like that. Now back, back home, you know, all eyes are on you, and you look like lobsters are crawling out of your ears. You know, what are you, some kind of fanatic? You know, or something like that. And uh, so Jen and I will go back, and we we're used to praying. You know, and we pray before every meal and everything like that. And everybody's looking at you, but it, it is it is a completely a different mindset. And and. Like the state you were saying, well, well, the state of Illinois will follow whatever the feds say at this point, because unless the feds happen to be Republican, I guess you know, <laughs> um, you know. So uh, this this jives with with what the, what the legislators in Illinois would want, and what a lot of people in the Chicagoland area seem. To what? Yeah, not you say, so you, much so in the suburbs, but
1: you say you know the you know reference just referencing prayer, in our conversation. Um, I've heard that you know several you know many times uh, over the years. Uh, well, you you just you just need to. By, people will know you're Christian by the way you act and by the way you behave, and you don't have to say anything. And I've I've always stopped there and said, no you do have to say something yeah because being a Christian doesn't mean be silent being be, a Christian means you speak Christ to other people yes and, you, and that that is your commission be, as a Christian be prepared to give a reason
0: for the hope that you have inside of you when called on to do so but when you do it do it with gentleness and respect Peter said that there you, go. you know and that, that's, that's it. exactly it we, we preach Christ crucified preach the word in season and out of season when it's convenient and when it is not uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, you know that we we proclaim Christ crucified Stumbling block to the world, you know to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks um, and still is but for us it is the power of God unto salvation and uh, you know sometimes just You know, I'm, I'm not proselytizing. We're not proselytizing anybody by praying over our food or anything like that but um, now it hasn't happened to us but i do know people who have been you know mocked and and criticized openly for doing that kind of thing uh i'll get we'll get the stairs we'll definitely like wow you know look at that that's that's you don't see that every day we went home for thanksgiving one year and we got together with her family like we normally do and um they got lined up at the buffet. They filled up all their plates. And every single one of them sat down and were eating. No grace was said on the day of Thanksgiving. And Jen and I aren't eating. And they're like, well, why? You know, why aren't you guys eating? I, I was like, I, I don't know. I, I, You know, it's family and stuff. So I kind of lost. I was like, man, you guys are a bunch of heathens, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like, man can't, can't we at least say grace before you dig in uh, on on Thanksgiving at least? you know, I know not most of you don't go to church on a regular basis or anything like that, but after all, this is a day of thanksgiving to God for all the blessings that have been bestowed on us in this great land that we live in. So I think we should at least offer up grace. Well everybody, including the churchgoers, who should have known better, you know, the food is falling out of your mouth and they put their forks down and I let and I led the prayer and It was but it was like it wasn't even in their vocabulary. Or it wasn't even in their thought process We're just gonna sit down and we're just gonna do this and I and since we've been down here There hasn't been anywhere where we've been where we haven't prayed or seen people praying uh, Just just this common table prayer or something like that just that little thing is makes I think a big difference it's it really is different
1: well and and it's just like you said you notice people who pray or they're noticed more in different places yeah and then by the same token what you speak about Christ will be noticed even more so but your silence about Christ may go unnoticed yeah so
0: yeah exactly well you know, I thank you for coming in today and uh, you know, you're you're one of our regular musicians here at our log jam. And you know, that's Lamb of God uh, is is the name of our congregation here and so we go by log. And I was like, well, let's think up a name for this thing. Well, log jam. <laughs> so, it came up with the log jam and a monthly thing the third Friday of the month and, <clears throat> and Mike's been with us since the beginning and we've done two so far and look forward to uh, to having him out yeah, again, uh, I love your voice. You got that that really nice, rich country voice, man. I like that. But uh, I know you're gonna you're gonna do a song for us. And uh, sure. why don't, why don't we um, why don't we take a listen and yeah, well, I'll let you introduce this song.
1: Uh, this is a song that was written by Tom T. Hall, but uh, and George Jones sang it, and uh, that's where I have the influence from, just hearing his song, his version of it. So I'm going to sing Me and Jesus by Tom T. Hall, which was sung by George Jones. All right?
2: It's called Me and Jesus. Well, me and Jesus Got our own thing going
1: Me and Jesus Got it all worked out
2: I know a man once was a sinner. Yeah, I know a man once was a drunk. I know a man once was a loser. And I one day made an altar out of a stump. Me and Jesus. Well, Jesus brought me all my troubles Jesus brought me all my trials Jesus brought me all my heartaches And I know my Jesus ain't gonna forsake me now Yeah, me and Jesus got our own thing going Me and Jesus We can't afford any fancy preaching. We can't afford any fancy church. We can't afford any fancy singing. You know Jesus got a lot of poor people out doing His work. Yeah me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus don't need anybody tell us what it's all about yeah we don't need anybody to tell us
0: what it's all about all right man that was pretty rocking
2: yeah. <laughs> I like I that man
0: <laughs> I love that that's nice and catchy I like yeah it. always that uh, I know you played it at the last log jam I think too and i really liked that people really jive with
1: that one yeah uh, yeah it's it's fine but when you, you sing about jesus it, it does add to folks <laughs> yeah <laughs> well well
0: mike i'd like i'd like to thank you again for joining me today and uh i would love to have you back in the future and um god's blessings to you man well
1: thank you and god bless you too pastor and uh Godspeed be with you and all you're trying to do for the community. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. And for all of
1: you out there who are listening,
0: uh, thank you again for joining us today and tuning in. Be sure to tune in again next time. And uh, just a reminder that, you know, Lamb of God Lutheran Church is uh, located at 57210 Allen Road here in Slidell. Our worship times are 8 and 1030 on Sunday. And with a Bible class at 9 o'clock in between, anybody is welcome. You are all are welcome here. Come as you are. Absolutely no perfect people allowed because, well, there are no such thing. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, please join us. I know that our Joy Quilters are going to be having an auction this coming March, and I'll be telling you more about that. We raise money for local charities, and they raise tens of thousands of dollars auctioning off their their quilts and things and they're going into their 40th anniversary that's been put off for two years because of the COVID event and so they're going to finally get to that this March and I'll be making more announcements of that as we go along so have a blessed day in the Lord everyone